0: Samuel, please, 1 Samuel. Number 30, 1 Samuel, chapter number 30. 1 Samuel, chapter number 30. We won't be here a long time tonight, but I do, I, I try on these missions nights to give you some information that'll help you understand missionaries and and so you can pray for them better and be a, help them better. But also, the, what they need also is part of what we need. And so there's kind of a double-edged sword on this. 1 Samuel chapter number 30, verse number 1. It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captive that were therein, they slew not any, neither, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captives, Hinoam and the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the wife of Nabin the Nabal the Carmelite and David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and for his daughters but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Tonight's lesson is to try to help explain a major missionary difficulty and why often missionaries often come off of the field. Now, it won't generally be recorded that this is why they left the field, but this is really very often where it gets its start, and it's the problem that is the foundation of whatever ended up being. It will, Lord willing, help us understand how to pray for our missionaries and understand what they're going through, and it does have an application for us at the same time. So let's pray, and then we won't be very long. Father, I bl- bless your name. We. Thank you for the privilege of being here, Lord, I thank you for uh, the privilege of supporting missions and thinking and, and working through that and hearing what you're doing around the world. We thank you for our invo- allowing us to be involved in that, and we ask that you would lead us in a very plain path in these next few moments. We ask this in the precious name of Christ, amen. Amen. Have you ever thought about a missionary's life before he goes to the field? Typically, missionaries aren't some new Christian who just gets saved and goes off to Bible college and then ends up on the field four years later. That's typically, if you listen to the missionaries and the testimonies they give, that's typically not what we're dealing with. Generally, it's someone who has grown up in a good church or who has lived, had been at least a part of a, good, a very good church for quite a few years. If that's the case, which it typically is, Think about their life. It would reflect many of the same lives that you would see yourself as. As a kid, they had a Sunday school teacher, a junior church teacher, and some other type of kids' ministry throughout the week generally. Not to mention their parents teaching them and uh, all the Bible that they're getting. At least three times a week, they are getting Bible taught. When they become a teenager, they have Sunday school. They have the morning service. They have the evening service. They have youth group. And many... um, would have either a Christian school that they went to, or like our kids have, the academy where they're teaching the Bible. So they're getting it more than just three times a week. Not to mention summer camps and all the other various teaching times that they get. As young adults, they have three services a week, and a church full of people, including a pastor or two, and that's helping keep watch over them and help teach them. Most of them have Christian families and Christian extended families, and so the godly influence is ongoing. I don't think anybody's shocked, like, oh, that's what's going on. Almost, this is very typical. Then they go off to Bible college, and for five days a week, they are fed Bible truth in class, and on the weekends, they have ministry and regular services. Is the expectation that we have that they would, while they're in college, have Christian friends that they run around with in college. Not to mention they have pastors and professors and dorm supervisors and college personnel and roommates and classmates. All to help keep them moving forward and keep them on the right track. When they graduate from Bible College, they go on the deputation trail. And for the next couple of years, they are constantly talking with pastors. They are sitting in church services, uh, more church services than they've ever sat in their life. Now they're sitting in these church services. They're going to missions conferences and missions meetings and ministering in churches all over the country where people are encouraging them to keep going to do what God has called them to do. That may be a little rosier picture than what it is, but I think you get the gist of this is what life is kind of like. It's pretty close. Then one day they hit the magic number. That magic number is 100% of their needed support, and so the deputation trail is over. And so they purchase their tickets to go out of the country, to the country they've been called to. And a commissioning service is held in their sending church. This commissioning service would be somewhere of a cross between one of our ordination services and our senior salute. If you can kind of coordinate those two together that's basically what a commissioning service would be. Everyone gathers there to encourage them family and friends most likely hundred at least a hundred or hundreds of people will be there to send them off. The missionary the missionary's wife, and maybe a a kid or two gets on the plane and goes to some foreign country. They're going there to lead people to Christ and to start a church. The missionary shows up on the field full of pep and zeal. He is fully charged from the last umpteen years of his life. He rolls forward on the momentum. But something Very significant has been removed from his life. He may not realize the magnitude of what has been lost when he shows up on the field. Just exactly what is missing in this new world of his? Basically, all of the outside spiritual influence in his life is gone. Gone are the pastors, now he is the pastor. Gone are the teachers, the Sunday school teachers, the junior church teachers, the Bible teachers, the youth director, the college professors. Gone are the missions conferences, the missions classes. Gone is his extended family. Gone are the dozens or hundreds of people who, that at the church that he has attended. Gone are the godly men and women who have helped for all these years shape his life and keep it on track. Okay, they're all still alive. But now they are hundreds, literally thousands of miles away. And there is a reason, by the way, that the Bible says, better is a neighbor that is nearer than a brother far off. The people are still there, but they're at a distance. And their influence is muted. And what's the missionary left with? The missionary is left with his wife, his kids, and either a non-existent church or a struggling church full of newborn baby Christians who are full of needs themselves. They're not full of help, they're full of needs. There may be another missionary in the area, but he's probably in the same exact situation as him. He's lost all his spiritual influence around him as well. Now, the missionary's momentum will carry him forward. And since he arrived on the field with a fully charged battery, it may carry him for a little while. But if he has not learned a specific basic skill, the question is not if he will come off the field, but when he is coming home. So what is this basic necessary skill? It is the same skill that David had in our text. I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but before David ever became king, which is what 1 Samuel is dealing with, David was basically what we would call an outlaw in Israel. And Saul, the king, was trying to kill him most of the time. As time passed in David's life, people who found themselves in similar positions, kind of outlawed, would join David. They would join with their families until he really actually had quite a band of people. David was basically the leader of a private army, if you want to think of it in that terms. But they had their families and all with them. They had been out doing their thing, and one day he comes back to their base camp, and they find, according to this passage of Scripture, they find that the Amalekites have come. The the Amalekites have taken everything, not just the junk. They have taken the wives, they have taken the kids, they have taken the livestock, They have taken everything. And anything they didn't take, they burned. Amazingly enough, I think this is an interesting side note of the Lord, they didn't kill anybody. That's really a a very important point in this. They didn't kill anybody, which is amazing. But they just took them all captive. Put yourself in that position. You come home tonight and find that all of your junk is gone, your house is burned to the ground, but your wife and your kids are gone. And not just that, but all of the families that you're close to, they're all gone too. The grief was so overwhelming, it just was almost unstatable. It wasn't just one or two families, but everybody All the family and the friends of the family were all gone. Now, I don't have time to get into all this. When people are in grief, they do really strange things. And so whenever I'm dealing with people who are in grief, like the loss of a family, you've got to watch out for people when they're in grief because they do really strange things. Just file that in the back of your mind. People do strange things under grief. These people, David's friends, are under grief. Serious grief. They have joined him because they wanted to. They were volunteers in his band. But they are so grief struck, they are talking about killing David. They're going to stone him. I don't suppose it mattered much to them that David had lost just as much, if not more, than they had. He was in grief himself. But they had grief and they were going to take it out on somebody. What does David do in that moment? He has a skill that every missionary has to have. David couldn't turn to his family for help. They were gone. He couldn't turn to his friends for help because they were all picking up rocks ready to kill him. What does the Bible say? The last phrase that we read, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. The word encourage here means to make strong, to strengthen. David found his strength in the Lord. When there's no strength or help that could be found anywhere around him, David didn't fold up and blow away. He drew his strength from the only place where you can get permanent strength. He drew his strength from the Lord. Now let's ask ourselves a very simple but pointed question that's very pertinent to this. Do you believe that David learned this skill of strengthening himself, encouraging himself in the Lord at Ziklag when they were picking up the rocks? Is this where David learned this skill? I don't think so. When you read the sweet psalmist of Israel, you find that David was an old hand at this. In the good days and in the bad days, as a shepherd boy, as a hunted man, and as king, David knew how to find his way to his God. It was a long acquired and much used skill that he practiced in the good times as well as the bad. Now, if you can understand what we just just discussed, the loss of all of the influence, the missionary encouragement when they go to the field, if you can understand that, that will help you understand what these goofy videos that we do mean. They have lost all of that. And so this is a little bit of home. This is a little bit of help to encourage if you understand that you understand that when you send out an email to a missionary that's only two or three sentences that say i care about you and i'm praying for you it means something to them this is why when they get a card in the mail that says we just cleaned the church for you and you're getting seventy dollars or when we do the hundred dollar project this is why you say why does that mean so much because everything that was encouraged them their entire life got left here. And when we do these little things, they mean a great deal. I believe in those things, and I think we should do as much as we can. But the reality is, if a missionary has not learned to encourage himself and the Lord, he's not going to make it long term. They must know how to encourage themselves in the Lord. And by the way, how dependent are you on the encouragement of others to keep you going? How dependent are you? Sure, you have family and friends and pastors and services to keep you going. I'm very thankful for all of those. But have you learned the skill of drawing your strength from the Lord himself? You know, Job had all of the normal supports in life. His family and his friends and all of that. He had all those supports. And all of a sudden, he finds he's got nothing but three miserable friends. Life sometimes takes a real quick turn, and he finds that he's got nothing. That he if it, if he was counting on that, he would have went under the bus. Now, eventually, his family and his good friends show up and support him and keep him and help him. But there is a quite a bit of time. Or a love sea. There's a lot of water that runs under the bridge between Job 1 and the end chapter where his family shows up. Look, I don't know what life holds, but I can tell you this. The need, the skill of being able to encourage yourself in the Lord. It is not a question of if you're going to need that, but when you're going to need that. And you ought to make it a daily practice of your life to hone that skill of knowing your way to God and drawing your strength from Him. David encouraged himself in the Lord. It's a skill that if a missionary does not have, they will not stay. And we have the same need. Father, we bless your name. We ask.